We are continuing with our community series, and I know he's not in here right now, but Tyler Alsop did a fantastic job with communion this morning, and I don't know how he managed to do that, but he tied it perfectly into today's lesson, which is all about love. So as we continue through this community series, and this is week three, and next week we're going to kind of wrap this thing up and put a bow on it, but due to some planning on my part and due to the way the calendar works out, this week is going to be Valentine's Day. And you're, you're sitting here and you're thinking, what does Valentine's Day have to do with church or community or what does it have to do with this series that we've been talking about? But today, we're going to talk about love. Now, it's often said that the theme of the Bible is love, and I love that definition because I agree that the theme of the Bible is love. The theme of the Bible is, is God's love for us. And the two most common words used in the Bible, does anybody know what they are? Love is one of them. Does anybody know what the other one is? Lord. Lord and love are the two most used words in the Bible. And I love that because what better two focal points could we have than God and love? Because God is love. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So today we're going to talk about how do we build our community? How do we increase our community through the act of love? So let's dive into that. So community is our witness. That's kind of the theme for today. So how do we attempt to attract people into our community? And I threw some ideas up there. We could, we could read scriptures or recite scriptures about salvation. And yes, that is important, of course. But what I'm talking about is if we really want to attract people to join our community, and we want people to be a part of what we have going on, Let's think about that. Think back to maybe before you were a believer. If somebody just came up to you and started reciting scriptures, is that really going to make you want to know more about them or want to be a part of what they are? It might, but it might not, because that might be a little overwhelming for someone who is a new believer or maybe somebody who, who doesn't have the background that you have. Now, don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with reciting scriptures. That's an amazing thing. We have a great example of that in the back. Mr. Glenn Roberts, he can recite half the Bible, I think, if not more, from memory. And that's fantastic. And that's important. But what I'm saying is, is when we're trying to build our community, when we're trying to bring people into our community, when we're trying to grow our community, that may not be the best way to go about it. So it says, invite them to an even, even evangelistic, I can't talk today, event. Another great way, right? We could invite them to church. We could invite them to a Bible study. We could invite them to a meeting. But a lot of times people are going to be hesitant. Because you got to remember, we're talking about people who may not be church goers. As soon as you say, come to church, what do they do? I don't know if I want to go down that road. Because maybe they've had a bad experience before. Or maybe they have, you know, only heard the negative things and the negative publicity about coming to church and being a part of a church. So that may or may not be the best way. Or how about an apologetic defense of our faith? Now, an apologetic defense of our faith is very, very, very important, and we should all be able to do that, right? We should all be able to give a reason that we believe what we believe. But again, to someone new or someone who may not know, that may not be the best way to attract them and to get them to want to be part of our community. So let's look at some scriptures. Let's start with 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. This is one of my favorite passages from the Bible. And for those of you who are fans of Forkean Country, like I am, you will also recognize that this is part of a Forkean Country song. But I love what this has to say. I can know the Bible inside and out. I can quote the Bible from start to finish. I can know all the stories of the Bible. But if I don't show love, then I'm not really showing Christ to other people. That's the key element. And the Bible tells us right here, you can prophesy, you can move mountains. But if you don't have love, you've missed the whole point. And I would like to think that if you read the Bible and you truly study the Bible and you truly study the life of Christ, there's no way that you would not want to show love to others because that's exactly what he did. I've often heard it referred to as the story of Jesus as a love story. And that's true. Because everything that he did was out of his love for you and me and all of the other people on the earth for the last 2,000 and however many years. John 13, 34 and 35, it says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. It says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. This is the new command that we're given. It doesn't say you might want to think about loving everybody. It doesn't, want, doesn't say maybe you should love people. That's not what it says. Pretty strong language when it says a new command that I give you. It's not a suggestion. He's telling us that we need to love others just as he loves us. And man, that is a tough pill to swallow sometimes right? Because I love all of you guys. I do. You guys are my church family. You guys are my brothers and sisters, and I love you in that way of a brother and sister. And that's easy for me to do. But think about some of the folks that you work with. Think about maybe some of your extended family even. Is it always really easy to love those people? Because they don't always treat us real well. And sometimes we don't treat them real well. It's really easy to love your spouse and your children and your church family, but we have to look outside of our church family because the Bible doesn't say the command is to love the people you go to church with. It doesn't say the command is to love the people that live in your house. It says we should love everyone just as Jesus loves everyone. And that includes those people who maybe don't think the same way that we do or don't do the same things that we do, or don't worship the same way we do, or don't sin the same way that we do, well, guess what? Jesus loves them too, and we need to love them, and we need to show them that same love, because if we're not showing them love, then we're not truly showing them Jesus, because this is such an important part of our community. So, I'm going to actually ask Lizzie to come up on stage for just a minute, because I want to talk about something with you guys. 
In all of the Gospels, come on up. In all of the Gospels, we see the account of Jesus' last days. Now, Jesus knew that the time was here. He knew that the end was coming. And he knew that this was his last chance to truly make an impact on his disciples before he left us. So what did Jesus do when that time came? He shared a meal with them, right? He broke bread with them. He shared the cup with them. He basically instituted the Lord's Supper, right? Which we celebrate every Sunday when we come together. And we remember that sacrifice that was made. And we break bread, which represents the body. And we drink the the grape juice, which represents the blood. But Jesus also did something else that was very, very important that night. He decided to wash his disciples' feet. Now, we have to remember the time and the culture, right? Because if you leave out the social context of the Bible, then you're missing some of the points of the Bible. So we have to remember that the Bible wasn't written for you and me today in 2020. It is applicable to you and me today. But the Bible was written during a specific time and a specific place and a specific social context. So we have to put ourselves back in this position. So in this day, everybody wore sandals. Those of you that know my wife, she also wears sandals every single day, regardless of what the weather is like. But they also didn't have sidewalks, and they didn't have paved roads, and most of the homes didn't have floors. So what did they have? They had dirt, (laughs) right? So as you can imagine, and this is why I don't like to wear flip-flops, as you can imagine, their feet got really, really dirty. That was just the way it was back then. So one of the things that was instituted back in this time was, and and if a lot of the floors were dirt, I don't always understand this concept, but it was the washing of the feet because they'd been walking outside and because their feet were dirty. Now, there's a lot of symbolism here too because if you think about it, even if they had just taken a bath, As soon as they walked outside, what happened? Their feet were dirty. The rest of them were clean or pure, so to speak, except for their feet. So what Jesus did was he decided that he would wash his disciples' feet. So what did he do? So if you read the account of the Bible, it says that Jesus went to them and said, hey, basically said, hey, I'm going to wash your feet. And they basically went, whoa, whoa, shouldn't we be washing your feet? Now, we tend to gloss over this part of the story because we all kind of know it. And we all kind of spend so much time focusing on the Passover meal, which is great, but we miss this part. And I don't want you guys to miss this part because Jesus could have very easily said to one of the other disciples, hey, I need you to come over and wash everybody's feet. But he didn't. And that's very, very important because this would have been the job of a servant. This would have been a job of probably the lowest man on the totem pole, so to speak, would have gotten the job of washing everybody's dirty feet. Now, I know you're thinking the same thing I am. Not really a job I'd want to have. But Jesus didn't look at it that way. Because you remember we talked last week that Jesus didn't come to be served. Jesus came to do what? serve. So what did he do on the night that he was betrayed is an act of service and an act of love. 
And that's exactly what we're talking about. So what Jesus would have done is he would have, he would have wrapped a towel around his waist. He, it says he took off his outer clothing, right? Took off his outer clothing. And he literally kneeled down on the ground and put himself in a position below the disciples. Now think about that. Think about that for just a moment. The Son of God, who has done amazing things, literally put himself in the lowest position you could imagine. He literally knelt down on the floor below the disciples and washed their feet. Just think about that for just a minute. Here's Jesus, right? The Son of God, who does miracles, who's about to die for the, for the remission of all of our sins, and he's literally on his knees washing the disciples' feet. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? He did that because he loved them so much. And he wanted to send a powerful message, not only to the disciples, that he's willing to put himself lower than everybody else. So the one person who was without sin put himself lower than just the normal people who sinned on a daily basis. Think about that. Why would he do that? <laughs> Why would he do that? This is his last time or his last, last night before he is about to go to the cross. And he knows he's about to go to the cross. And he does an act of service. He does an act of love. And he literally gets down on his knees to wash his disciples' feet. What a powerful message that that sends to us about how we should treat others. Because sometimes we think, you know what? I'm a Christian, and I go to church every Sunday, and I go to church every Wednesday, and I read my Bible, and I pray for my meals, and somehow we think that makes us better than somebody maybe who doesn't go to church. But that's not the example that Jesus leaves us with. This is one of his last acts on earth is to literally lower himself and wash the feet of his disciples. And I think this is something we need to remember when we think about Jesus and when we think about love and when we think about this short time frame that he had because he knew that, that Judas was about to, to, to <laughs> betray him. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. He, he knew that Judas was about to betray him and he knew, hey, I've got this window to really leave an impact on these men who have been following me for the last three years. Because these are the things that I want them to remember. And what does he say right after he washes their feet? He says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. I'm not saying you have to go around washing everyone's feet. And I'm not saying that we should add that into our communion service on Sunday mornings. But what I am saying is, this is the example that Jesus set. And if this is the example that he set, and then he gives us the command to go and do likewise, or he gave the disciples the command to go and do likewise, then we should be doing the same thing. We should be showing that same love to others and humbling ourselves before others.
Let's look at another passage in John chapter 17, verses 20 to 22. It says, my prayer is not for them alone. It says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. It says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. This is one of Jesus' last prayers before he is to be crucified. And what does he pray for? He prays that they will love one another and that they will be as one. Love one another, be as one. That could sum up our whole community series all in and of itself in one verse. When we see that Jesus could have prayed for anything as his last prayer, but he didn't. He prayed for that we would love one another and be as one. Let's pick up in verse 23. It says, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with, to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So in this last prayer, he wants them to love each other. He wants them to be in unity with one another. And what does he say here? He wants us to be with him for eternity. Even in his last hours on earth, Jesus wants us to be with him. And he speaks this very, very powerful prayer about love, about unity, and how he wants all of us to be with him for eternity. What a powerful thing to think about. The last prayer that Jesus spoke was for you and me and for everybody else for the last 2,000 years. Even at the very end, Jesus wasn't asking for anything for himself but he was asking for us because of his love for us. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. Read into that go and build relationships with one another. Because when we're showing people love, we're building relationships. And we have to build relationships before we can baptize people into Jesus. You're not just going to walk up to somebody on the street and say, Hey, Danny, want to be baptized? He's going to look at me like I'm absolutely crazy. But when I spend time with him, and when I show him love, and when I show him that there's this amazing community that he should be a part of, 
then we can start talking about things like salvation and baptism. But we got to start with the relationships. See, we as a community should be something that others want to be a part of. Have you ever met somebody and there's just something about them that draws you to them? And I don't mean physically, but I'm saying something that, you, that you're around. And maybe because they're so positive all the time. Or maybe it's because they're so nice all the time. Or maybe because they're so strong all the time when most people wouldn't be. Those are the kinds of people that you find yourself drawn to. You don't want to be around people who are negative all the time. You don't want to be around people who are mean to each other. You want to be around a community that truly loves each other. I've seen this in action. I met, I met some folks when we first moved to Phoenix. Uh, Paul and Janice Marshall, two of my favorite people on the planet. I had never met them before we moved to Phoenix. Lizzie knew them from when she grew up in Camarillo, but I did not. I have never met two people who made me feel more welcome and more comfortable and more like family from the minute that I met them than this couple. And they're absolutely amazing. So how do we do that when somebody walks through our church door or when somebody sits next to us at work? How do we show them that same love that Jesus showed us, that Paul and Janice Marshall showed me, that just made me want to be a part of it? all about love because you know what when we're not being fake with one another when we're being real with one another and we're there for one another and we're there to hug somebody when they're going through a difficult time or we're there to visit them at the hospital or we're simply there to be an ear for them to talk to that's when we're showing love and that's what people want to be a part of you know sometimes when I invite people to our church um, especially if they go to a larger church they will come and they'll say wow, you guys actually pray for people by name when they need prayer. I said, yeah, that's what we do. But that's what community is all about. It's about that relationship. It's about that love that we have for one another, just like how Jesus loved us. So, some of you have seen this before. Maslow. As soon as I pulled this up, Michael was like, yep, I know that one. So this is, this is how it works from a physiological standpoint. This is a pyramid of need, okay? The first need is physiological, okay? That's our food, our water, and our air. We have to have that, right? No way around that. If you don't have food, you don't have water, sooner or later, you don't have you. We need to be safe. And what happens right after we need to be safe? Social. We weren't designed to live alone. We weren't designed to do life alone. And just like we've been talking about through this whole series, God didn't design us to be alone and he doesn't want us to be alone. He wants us to be in community. If that were the case, why would they have ever established the first church? They wouldn't have. We'd have all just been doing our own things, right? But only after we have social 
do we start to build our own esteem, and then we really can start to self-actualize. And we won't get into a philosophical or a psychological debate on that. But even science tells us we need each other. We need each other. And that's super important. So, we, we talked about the example of, of Christ washing the disciples' feet. Imagine what would happen if we truly put aside our personal differences and put others' needs in front of our own. If we loved each other to the fullest, just as Christ loves us, how do you think the outside world would respond to that? At first, they'd probably be a little weirded out by it because unfortunately, that's just not the way we treat each other as people. But once they see that we truly love each other and that we truly put other people's needs in front of ourselves, that's contagious. That's something that people want to be a part of. But we have to get there, right? We have to stop arguing about silly things that don't really matter in the big picture of things. We have to let our differences go. Because you know what? We're not all the same. And how boring would that be if we were all the same? We're all different with different ideas. Different people from different places with different experiences. But Christ loved everyone. And we, we looked at multiple scriptures today that remind us of the fact that Christ died for every one of us. And Christ died because he loved us enough to do it for us. He loved us enough to go to the cross for a world that most of which didn't even believe in him. Let that sink in for just a minute. He went to the cross for a world that most of which at this point in time did not even believe in who he truly was. So we've got to figure out is how do we, as a community, show that same love for one another? We let things go. We put our differences aside and we really start to put the needs of others before our own. And when we do that, that's something that people want to be a part of. And when people see that, they're going to want to be part of this community. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this church. We thank you so much for every single person and every single family represented by this church. Heavenly Father, we love you and we know that you love us. And Heavenly Father, just help us to always show that love to others. Help us to put aside our differences. Help us to put aside our personal opinions and focus on the one true and living God. And when we do that, Heavenly Father, then we're truly being the community that you see us being, that you want us to be, and that's going to be pleasing to you. And that's the community that's going to help this church to grow and continue to flourish. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that love that you give us, even though we are so undeserving of it. And we thank you for all that you bless us with. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. In just a minute, Brandon's going to come up and lead us in another song. And we call this the invitation song because we're going to invite you at this point. Maybe you've never been baptized and you want to be baptized for the remission of sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we topped off the baptistry this morning. It's clean. It's warm. There's no reason for you not to take care of that before you leave here today. Or maybe you've been a Christian all your life, but maybe you've fallen away and you haven't shown that love to others that you should. The Bible teaches us to confess before men. You have an opportunity to come forward. We'll pray with you. We will help you in any way that you can. Would you please come forward as we stand together and as we sing? Savior.